Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 367, I'm doing things a little bit differently. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to shift your perspective and I mean, it could be a dream, but possibly end the mommy wars, at least when it comes to those of us who claim Jesus as believers, that we could have a new perspective on this work we call motherhood. And I'll tell you, it's for all moms. It starts when they're babies and we're talking about different parenting approaches and it keeps growing and building as our kids get older. Before I dive in, I want to thank one of this week's sponsors. Uh, We know that this topic matters to us because we understand how precious the lives are that we have been given to steward. And so in that, I want to connect you with a great option. If you've ever considered getting life insurance, especially term coverage, it's surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a little bit each month to protect the ones you love? And if you're asking yourself about that, how do I do it? I want to offer you to choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, just answer a few questions about your health in the application. You just need a few minutes, your phone, your laptop, and their algorithms work in real time. And you'll find out if you are instantly approved. No hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladders customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. And they made Forbes Best Life Insurance 2021 list. So go to ladderlife.com slash DMA today to see if you are instantly approved. Approved. That's L A D D E R life.com slash DMA, ladderlife.com slash DMA. Mommy Wars. Oh man. Maybe you're having a visceral response as I say that phrase. You are actively in a conflict with another mom, or you've been hurt from a group of moms, or there's some social media battle happening right now, and you are still unwinding and untangling from words that were said and questioning your mothering because of it. My hope is to equip you through this episode to give you a framework to process through and also to shift perspective or at least remind us of the perspective we have. So where did the concept of mommy wars begin? Is it as old as time? Possibly. I found one article written by Stephanie Murray for Time Magazine in December of 2021. She was writing about how possibly the mom wars were ending with the pandemic, but she told the story of how they started. She said in 1990, First Lady Barbara Bush was invited to speak at the commencement of an all-women's school, and that decision prompted 150 students to petitioned the school's president saying that as a stay-at-home mom, largely known for her husband's achievements, First Lady Mrs. Bush did not represent the kind of career woman that the college encouraged their students to become. 
Now, that then continued on and there were battles back and forth on what is more valuable? Which place is more valuable to spend your time? Building your career outside of home or the domestic responsibilities inside of a home? And what the pandemic did was caused a large amount of women to be forced out of the labor force because their support systems were shut down. And this author argues in her thesis that when we belittle the domestic responsibilities, it only gives employers and public policymakers a license to ignore rather than accommodate for mothers in the labor force. In other words, as moms, we can help each other if we acknowledge, and I think this is what the pandemic did, we acknowledged as a group, doing all of these things is impossible. <laughs> this is too much. And the strain is too much. She also says something that I 100% agree with. It's actually one of the chapters in my book. She says, can we retire the phrase working mom? Yes. I titled my chapter, All Working Moms, because Paid employment isn't the only kind of valuable work. It doesn't make you some different or better category of mom. And we actually do more harm in general to those who choose to work outside the home when we don't advocate for each other. This is all hard work. It is all valuable work. The process of growing a baby into an adult is hard work. And I know you know that I'm a big fan of sharing the load. We need each other. And we sabotage that ability to help and support one another when we compare which one's better, which one's harder, which which season is more challenging. I've been in and out of lots of seasons so far in parenting and they're all hard, okay? Lots of kids, hard. One kid, hard. And if we're going to lean into us as believers, as the church, as the body of Christ, we really miss out. We really miss out. And I, leaning into that labor kind of idea and this concept that we're all working, this is part of our job as humans is to grow up the next generation and as believers, we, be, we believe that our role is to disciple and train our children to know and love God and want to, want to serve him with the gifts that they've been given where they are. So instead of arguing in that secular conversation about where moms spend their time and energy and the work that we do and whether what's valuable and what's not valuable, I'd love to take another angle and focus in on this term co-laborers. Now, this concept came to me in reading a passage from Ecclesiastes 4. The author of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. He's King David's son. He was also a king. Uh, the one that you may remember asked for a God-listening heart or wisdom. He wrote Proverbs, which is a great book of wisdom, if everything works out, you know. You do the right thing and you're rewarded. Well, he wrote Ecclesiastes and it's his reflections on life. Sometimes life doesn't work out. Some things he observed in the world. 
like how time just keeps marching on and you will be forgotten, how everyone has the same destiny, which is that our lives end. One in one people will die. The random nature of life. 34 times in the book, Solomon uses this word, hebel, which is translated often meaningless. It means vapor or mere breath, smoke. Basically, something you can't hold on to. It's not clear. It's just fleeting. It's uncertain, disorienting, uncontrollable. And so in this passage, Ecclesiastes 4, he's talking about an observation he made about something that is meaningless. And he's talking about work. So in verse 7, the author writes an observation about a character we could almost call, as my VA Stephanie noted, Ebenezer Scrooge. He is doing something meaningless. And I'll read it to you. It says, one person who has no other son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, who am I toiling for and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also meaningless vanity or unhappy business. Basically, he is choosing to keep his money rather than hire out help, and he's choosing to do it alone. And so the author Solomon draws this conclusion that rather than being an Ebenezer Scrooge, how about we try what's in verse 9 where he writes, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their work or their toil. For if they fall, one will lift them up. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and has no one to lift him up. Woe to the mom who is alone when she falls and doesn't have another mom to lift her up. We have this opportunity to co-labor with other moms, to link arms in the work and recognize we will have challenges. We will fall. Our kids will fall. And we get to be the ones who lift each other up. And not only can we lift each other up when we fall or when our kids fall, but Solomon goes on to observe that if you're alone and someone attacks you, the attacker could prevail. In verse 12, he says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two could withstand him. If you are there with someone else, it's less likely that an attacker will win. And I feel like the culture and these wars that have been created have pitted us against one another. And we do have a common enemy. And it is not the mom next to you. It's not her kids. It's not your spouse. It's not your own kids. Our enemy is the liar, <laughs> the deceiver, the crafty and not creative enemy, prince of darkness, the one who wants to steal and destroy your family and your fruitfulness and the work that you're doing. He's after you, but we do not put attention 
towards listening to his lies and attacking the one next to us. We have an opportunity to link arms, to build up one another. When lies come towards our friends or towards ourselves, to be in community where we share that and we push back the darkness for the goal of leading our kids, (laughs) building up the next generation who know God because we see in the Old Testament how generations would go by that didn't know this Yahweh God. They didn't know what he had done and they didn't know the promises of what was to come because their parents failed to tell them. Well, I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to keep discipling and pouring into my boys. And I'll tell you, you get tired. You get tired. <laughs> you get tired in the work and you want to stop doing the intentional things. But it's a lot easier to do them when I've invited other moms in. When I'm centered in what my true identity does not come from how my kids behave, what awards they get in school what schools they get into as we head into the college years. My identity is centered in Christ and I'm accountable to him for how I spent my time. If I was building my own kingdom, my own trophy children, or if I was surrendered to him and following his lead, even if my kids walk through really hard things, even if we fall, even if we have to process through some really big challenges, If I'm doing it with my friends in community alongside God, that matters way more than what the GPA says, what's in the trophy case. Our heart's intention, our desire to honor him matters way more than the outcome. And so how do we do this? We know we want to. We want to link arms. We want to co-labor. It is better for two than one. And I think it's better three or four than one. But how do we do it? How do we really do it, especially when the conflict comes? Because I can tell you, don't compare. Your journey's different. Don't compare how you're choosing to spend your time. Don't compare how you're choosing to parent your kids. And and we know these things, but we still do it. And I think we do it because we're insecure in our own way. We don't quite know if what we're doing is going to work out. And so sometimes it can be a little bit easier to maybe judge another mom's choice. Uh, Maybe it's rooted in the fact that we do think there's a formula and I have to do A, B, and C so my child doesn't become X, Y, or Z. And we do A, B, and C. Instead, we get D, E, and F. And we're like, what? How did we get here? How did we? I I followed the formula. And I've found moms show each other a little bit more grace in the teen years when they've been beat up a little bit by their kids making their own choices and life not going exactly how you thought it would go. So we can choose to not compare to link arms to face forward in this work that we have. And then when attacks come, how do we handle that? Attacks could look like attacks from the outside or They could be division caused by the enemy amongst our children. What do we do if our kids have issue with one another and they're too young to solve it for themselves? What do we do if we have uh, an issue between two kids, but the conflict really is with the moms? What do we do when we have kids that are spending time together and the parents have different views on how to handle limits? We're going to talk about that 
in just a minute. Okay, a couple things I want to tell you about that make this show possible. One is Athena Club Razors. I'm telling y'all, this is gold, and mine is actually rose gold, but they're surrounded by this water-activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get this silky, smooth shave. It actually leaves my skin soft and hydrated and not dry. The blades are perfectly spaced out to let your hair and the shaving cream pass through, so you don't have to take lots of passes. So fewer passes on your legs, also less time, and less irritation. The best news, the razor kit is only $9 with free shipping. It comes with two blade cartridges, a magnetic hook, real cute for your shower, and you get to choose the handle. Like I said, I got the rose gold and the pink, and I love it. Lots of colors, chic black, white, neon. You don't have to worry about your blades getting dull either. They'll send you refills on a schedule. You can just choose how often you need them, and I would really, really highly recommend their cloud shave foam. I'm super bummed. I've run out. I need to order more. It is so thick. It stays on. It feels amazing. You are going to want to get this in your rotation before we hit summer. Why would you want to deal with razor burn and wasteful disposable razors when you could get the best shave of your life with Athena Club razor kit? Get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code DMA. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B. Dot com with promo code DMA for 20% off. Another sponsor that's going to make your summer even better is Rothy's. Okay, I love to wear flats. You love to wear flats. But I don't love when I don't wear socks how stinky my shoes get. I also don't love when I'm traveling or wearing them a lot and they get really dirty. Best news ever that with Rothy's, you can wash them. You can wash them. They're also made out of products knit from thread of plastic water bottles. They have repurposed around 125 million water bottles so far. Not only that, you're gonna get compliments because they're so stinking cute. They just released these really, really adorable, colorful pair of flats, and I think I might need them. They are insanely comfortable, almost like a slipper. I would, I like getting a little half size up, just FYI. And yeah, I mean, cute, comfortable, washable. What more can I say? It's going to be your new favorite shoes. They are waiting for you. Discover all their versatile styles. You can wear absolutely anywhere. Get $20 off your first purchase at Rothy's. It's spelled R-O-T-H-Y-S.com forward slash DMA. Rothys.com slash DMA for $20 off your first order. Okay, let's work through some conflict. Conflict. Who doesn't love some good old conflict? Now, when we are at a play date and we have young children and the moms are there, to me, this can be super awkward. Um, because the moms are talking through the conflict in front of each other with the kids. And this is where it might be great, because you get to choose who you're co-laboring with, to choose moms that you feel safe with, that you feel comfortable with, and possibly parent more similarly to you. Maybe 
you feel comfortable letting the kids go off and play and work things out. Maybe some other moms that you've been with want to manage all of the interactions and that makes you uncomfortable. I'm going to give you the freedom and the permission that if you do not enjoy those play groups, you don't have to keep going to them. You get to decide who you co-labor with in those situations. If there's a conflict between the kids, I do like to see if they can work it out. Um, there was one time when my friend Erin and I were like, we, we would go back and forth. Do we get involved? Do we not get involved? She was a teacher and I was a speech pathologist. And so we're just used to working with kids and working through conflict. And so I think we would over manage sometimes. And so our husbands were like, let them work it out. So we're in her kitchen and we hear them kind of fighting, which is so normal. Our boys now are great friends. Don't even go to the same school, still support and love each other. They're great friends. Anyway, they're in the other room and like it escalated. There ended up being blood. It was totally solvable. No stitches were needed. But I think our first reaction was, see, we do need to get involved. No, we didn't. We still didn't need to get involved. Everybody's fine. And I think it's this healthy learning to sort it out on their own. That's a good thing. And if they really, truly have no skills, they're still really little, you can guide them. Expecting to share too early is unrealistic. Little kids less than five or six don't know how to share. They don't. It's unrealistic. We can say when friends are going to come over, hey, our friends are going to come over and they're going to play with our toys and they're not going to take them home unless you choose to give it to them. And we're going to play together with your toys and sometimes they might choose to play with them. And then maybe you'll go to their house and you'll play with their toys. We can talk through these scenarios with our kids. And then when there is a conflict over a beloved thing, we can help them navigate that. We can help them get to a calm place. I've got a great episode with Connected Families on sibling conflict and how you work through this peace uh, process. You could use that for a conflict with a friend. I mean, these are basically like sibling interactions sometimes, especially if it's a play group you play with regularly. Train them on conflict resolution, hearing the other side, verbalizing your own challenge and what you're thinking and feeling, and then making it right and celebrating at the end. We don't have to just because there is a conflict in the relationship. Now, if there's something with your kids and you're older, let's say they're middle schoolers, let's say they're high schoolers, and you are feeling kind of worked up about it. Uh, maybe you are feeling some feelings about the situation. I would love for you to lean in on yourself <laughs> first and ask a few questions. Here's Here are the questions I want you to ask yourself. How am I feeling about the situation? And if you need my feelings card, go to maybe the episode I did with Bruce on uh, Bruce Learns to Label His Feelings or the episode I did with Stephanie on processing feelings with a friend. You, po you probably feel angry, let's say. Let's say you feel angry. Again, anger is a secondary emotion. So what's behind that? Are you feeling pain because your child is in this situation and you are sad for them? Are you feeling fear? that whatever the situation is may disrupt their social 
um, connectedness or they're getting asked to something in the future or um, you're worried they won't have friends. I think a lot of moms in that middle school, high school years, we worry they won't have friends because so much of the friendships are dependent on how they resolve conflict. Again, why it's so valuable to let them work it out when they're little. Are you feeling shame? Remember, shame is believing I am wrong. Mom guilt is I did something wrong. And sometimes we feel mom guilt in places where we've done absolutely nothing wrong. Going on a trip with your husband is not wrong. Mom guilt associated with that is wasted. You didn't do anything wrong. Mom shame is I am wrong. And just because your child has conflict with another child doesn't make you wrong. Relationships will have conflict. Now, if there's something repetitive, there's a pattern, and you're in denial that something's going on with your child, that's a whole different thing. That might be something that's being done that is wrong. It doesn't make you wrong. And when we carry that shame, it keeps us from being creative. It keeps us from thinking outside the box on how could we fix this? Or how could I help my child move forward into a positive direction? Shame shuts down those creative parts of our brain. Shame isolates us from community. Shame keeps us hidden. So if you get curious about yourself in this moment of conflict and you ask yourself, what am I feeling? Maybe anger. Boys tend to, I'm going to have an episode soon with David Thomas, I think next week on emotions. They swing between blame and shame. I think with mom conflicts, sometimes we do the same thing. We blame. It's everybody else's fault. It's the teacher's fault for not regulating better. It's the other parent's fault for not parenting differently. It's, you know, maybe even we would blame our child if my child was different. And then we feel shame. And I think that shame, you can listen to the episode I did with Dr. Kurt Thompson on it. If we name it, if we say it, if we have a safe friend group or place that we can process, then it light shines on it and it can't stay. We have people coming after us and telling us, you are worthy. You are a daughter of the king. You are doing the best that you can do. And that shame has no place to go but out. So ask yourself, how am I feeling about the situation? And then lean into what am I believing? What am I believing about the other child? What am I believing about the other mom? What am I believing about my child? And then to go along with that shame conversation, what am I believing about myself? If you lean into those and label those and call them out and you really get honest, I think it will help you respond differently because sometimes we're believing things that aren't true. Sometimes we're believing things that are fatalistic or the enemy is trying to hold us back or he wants to keep us stuck in that fear place, that shame place. And by calling out what we're believing around the situation, we don't just react from that belief. We get to choose to believe something different. So what if instead we trade any negative thoughts we're having about the other child, about the other mom, about my child, about myself, 
for truth, which is we are all sinners <laughs> in need of grace and we're all doing the best that we can. And then you can start problem solving. And if it is a mom that you have a relationship with, you can come alongside her and say, hey, it sounds like there's some conflict. Do you think we need to get involved or not? Sometimes it doesn't involve you. Hey, I'm feeling this about the situation and I'd love to know how you're feeling about the situation. What could we do to come alongside each other so that our children can come out better after this conflict, can learn and grow and become better versions of themselves because they had this conflict? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, I feel like I'm setting myself up to have to do this now that I'm telling you all of this. I, I always worry when I do an episode that, oh gosh, now I get to, now I get to live it out. Um, but I think so often we villainize other moms and other kids because we're just so scared that we're going to get it wrong. And here's, here's the relief. You, you're going to get some things wrong in mothering. You and I are not going to get this 100% right. But God is bigger. You are not him. When a conflict arises, when something happens, he isn't throwing his hands in the air and saying, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I cannot believe Sarah just did that. She has messed up my whole plan. He is hoping that it is an invitation to invite him in to help you reconcile and redeem because broken things happen in this world. Brokenness is in this world. It is inevitable, like Thanos says. It's inevitable. But we... As believers, have the Holy Spirit in us. And it's not multiple Holy Spirits. It's one Spirit. So particularly if this conflict is between another believer mom, child, and your child, that one Spirit, that oneness is available to us. And shutting them out and, and speaking poorly of them behind their backs speaking poorly about their child is not the oneness that God intended. Now, another possible point of conflict is what happens if you know something about another person's child, something they're involved in that's harmful. And if we are co-laborers and your heart truly is purely desiring what's best for that child, is it your role to tell the parent? My hope, and I, if any of my mom friends are listening, if you see something in your mind you feel is harmful for my child, my hope is that you would graciously tell me and then also recognize that I may be aware, we may be working through it, and I may be okay with the thing that you think is wrong. 
my line of okayness may be different than your line of okayness. And for that awkward conversation to happen and then me to say, yeah, I didn't know about that. Thank you, though. Thank you for telling me. I really appreciate you being on the side of my child's best. Instead of me taking a posture of anger towards that mom or embarrassment, thinking, oh, she thinks that's wrong, so am I wrong that I think it's okay for my child to do X, Y, and Z or watch X, Y, and Z or stay out X, Y, and Z? We have to have humble hearts to receive and also be brave to confront. And that is so tricky. I know it is not easy and I'm not saying that it is. But I think it would be fantastic if we can cultivate a community that the ultimate goal is for the thriving and success of our children. That instead of it being a competition for the awards, I am cheering the loudest when your child gets MVP at the athletics banquet. I am taking the video of them getting the award because you are soaking it in. And I am sending you that video because I love seeing the next generation walking in their giftedness for God's glory and for the spread of the good news wherever God takes your kid. So anyway, these are some thoughts, some thoughts I had about co-laboring together. I hope it's encouraging to you. I hope it just spurs on more conversation. Um, I actually just went longer than I thought I was going to go, but I'm going to pray over all of this. Lord, we know that you are a God of unity and community. We know that work is a good thing. And it is a place where we can lean on you for strength, for wisdom, for encouragement. And as we do this laboring of mothering, I pray that we would do it alongside one another, that our hearts would be just merged with a desire for the thriving and the discipling of the next generation, that we would cheer when there's success, that we would weep when there's trial, that we would support and lift each other up when we fall. Because two is better than one. A multitude is better than isolation, Lord. And I pray that we would have tender hearts to receive any confrontation, but also remember the truth that nothing in this world, nothing our children do, nothing we do can change how you see us. Shame has no place but at the foot of the cross. Christ carried all the shame because we are re-identified through his resurrection. We get a new identity and that is being in him as daughters, co-heirs with him to this eternal place with you, God. I pray that whenever we start to feel that shame or that pain or that fear that we would rest in our solid identity And hope that is secured through Christ. Lord, I pray for each mom listening, whatever conflicts or comparison or challenges that she's experienced this school year, that you would heal some things up this summer, that she could head into the next year fresh 
And we pray over our kids. We pray that they would be peacemakers, that we would train them on how to reconcile conflict, that we would help them, that we cast a vision for them of what this kingdom bringing experience can be. I pray, Lord, for all of our hearts to be knit back together for a spirit of unity, even in our differences, that it's okay to be different. It's okay to have different views and different thoughts and different ways to parent, but unified in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'll see you back here next week. I have an episode with David Thomas. We are going to talk about raising emotionally strong boys, and you're not going to want to miss it. I think it applies to girls as well but he is our boy expert. And if you want to make sure you don't miss that, you can always subscribe to the podcast. I hope you knew that. I don't mention that very often. Um, And we love, love, love how you have been sharing the show. It helps more moms know that we're out there. And I think people are listening to podcasts again. Moms are listening to podcasts again. And so it's super helpful. Thank you for sharing. Um, The show has been in the top 50 of kids and family and we are just honored to get to walk alongside you so i'll see you here next week adios i hope you enjoyed this episode of the don't mom alone podcast if you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone head over to don'tmomalone.com that's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests most importantly i want you to know the good news the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.